I'd like to open that up to you guys. You'll want to have your Bibles ready in your lap. There's three passages we'll read through. They're lengthy passages. But I want to offer one particular thought, and then I want to add to that the actual um, thought that that should go with, um, because you're going to end up in the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, you'll end up there. We're not there yet. But I want to talk about this with you, because I think it's an amazing thing when God's people can gather together. And I don't know about you, but I'm hungry to be active as a congregation. Amen? And if you did, how many of you drove to the back parking lot and you saw that cleaned up yard? Okay, I know it's not completely done, but it's it's way, way, way massively better. Um, you want to give Felicia a big hug, and I know um, Bill Felden and Craig, and uh, there's a lot. Okay, many people. I know Ashley, your three boys were working pretty hard, and John uh, over here. So if you see those guys, give them a hug and say thank you. There's some really good work going on. And then, so next time we have a... Believe me, we planned for 35 people. We had 60 people come to the barbecue. Amen. Thank you. You made that a wonderful blessing. I hope the next time we do it, it'll be in our own back 40. So it's so exciting that you guys are putting effort into that. Uh, Because I believe God can do extraordinary things through ordinary people. So it's always good to be together as God's people to see God work out things in our lives. And as you see God uh, blossom and grow through the the wonderful times and through the thick times and the difficult times, you see God's hand as you look back with 2020 vision, right? Hindsight's always 2020. You start to see God moving through your life and you start to see him working through the congregation. And he wants to bring about his people to a place where they're in love with his truth. They're in love with each other, and they truly are acting in a unified fashion. That is a difficult process, amen? Because to be unified, I'm married to one wife. I'm glad I don't live in Old Testament times. Because <laughs> that's, and I know she would. She could absolutely say the same thing. She, she's just not up here. But, but basically, it, one is a good, that's a lot of work, isn't it? And, and bless her, she has to forgive me a, a lot. You want to notice something? Um, she was trying to put on a real cheery spirit this morning, so she put on a romantic candlelight breakfast for four. <laughs> so, don't laugh, it was really beautiful. <laughs> no, anyways, but give her, when you see her, give her a hug too. Because I think that's something we're all um, wondering, which is this question, when we try to act out on, on, our, on our thinking and our hearts, how will God use us to accomplish great things? And what is really a great thing? You know, how do we know that what we're doing is pleasing to God? That's kind of the question. And I'll come to that conclusion later. How's God going to use you? Well, because there's hope. There's hope for all of us, even though many of us have thought that we, we're not worthy or we're not talented. I don't know about you, but when you're sitting in this pulpit... Uh, and I don't know if that happened to the ones before, but you will take some serious shotgun shells. And I'm not talking about bird, you know, bird spray. I'm talking about the elephant slugs. Okay, they're not they're not funny. Uh, or if you guys are riflemen, it's a seven millimeter. Okay, so y'all with me? And and you have to figure out and ask yourself, Lord, what is it that you're going to do through me or through us? Because I want to be used by you to bring glory to your name. Because ultimately, I don't want it to be about us. I want it to be about you. I want it to be about others. And I know I preached that on Sunday night. 
And so I believe that there is hope. I really do. I believe there is hope because I believe God has blessed each of us with talents to use in his kingdom. Amen. And so I just want you guys to see that this morning because I really believe that God is still not done with Camelback yet. And I don't think he will be done even long after I'm gone, which I'm hoping is about 20 or 30 years from now. Uh, there is something about being a beacon of hope in the city of Phoenix to be a light unto the world that's right around us that I believe God will use us if we give our life in submission to his rule. And so together we start to act as a unified body. I think that's where God can really start to use us because I believe God can use us in extraordinary ways. I want you to consider, for example, somebody like Moses. So in your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 2. And if not, they'll be up here on the wall as well. You're welcome to read along on the wall or in your text, in your lap, in your lap or your app. But in Exodus chapter 2, either in your app or in your lap or up here on the wall, you can see this. And if you're using the Faith Life Study app, you can go to Settings, Presentations, Camelback, and follow along there as well if you would like. But notice what he says here in Scripture. Now, it came about that in those days when Moses had grown up, that he went out uh, to his brethren and he looked at all their hard labor. And, and he looked and he saw that the, an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren, and it moved him. Now, maybe not necessarily in the right way, but it moved him. And you notice in verse 12, so he looked up and he kind of took matters into his own hands. And he looks left and looks right and he says, well, nobody's around, even though there's always someone watching, right? And he struck down that Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So he kills this Egyptian and he tries to cover it up by hiding him. This is kind of the early time. I mean, later on, there'll be somebody called David that does something similar, a little more public. But here he thought he was going to get away with this. And he went out the next day. And behold, there were these two Hebrews. They were fighting each other. And he tries to break up the fight. And apparently news travels fast. The next day means that word of mouth is faster than any news media. I think it's faster than Facebook, Twitter, and texting combined. And, and, they, and they're fighting each other. Hey, stop. Don't, why are you striking your companion? Don't beat up your... This is your fellow Hebrew. Well, who are you? Who are you? Why are you the... What are you, the prince? What are you, the judge? You're the adopted kid of Pharaoh. Who made you ruler over us? Hey, are you going to kill me like you killed that Egyptian? Wow, that had to strike Moses. And Moses, you know, hightails it. He said, surely this matter became known... And he hightails it out of there and because he knew that when Pharaoh got word of this, he tries to kill him and he runs and he goes to Midian and he settles down by the well. He leaves with basically his sandals and his cloak on his, and his shirt on his back and he just takes off. And he, you probably think it's over. And there are people that when they get hit hard with life or with, with personal attacks that they run into that problem. They go, well, what's the, what, maybe the easiest solution is to run. Maybe just hide, run somewhere and get away from it all. Maybe that's the answer. And it came about after the course of many days, right? The king of Egypt dies, Pharaoh dies. And the sons of Israel, they're sighing because the next one, he wasn't very nice. He wasn't very kind to the people. They realized that they were not only in bondage, but this was an oppressive bondage. And they cry out because they want God to, to help them. And it rises up to his ears and he hears this and he hears their cry. 
And you know the rest of this story because God, he hears their groanings and he remembers his covenant. He remembers the promise he gave to them. He told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he told Abraham, he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. He knew that there would be a time when he would lead them into the promised land and they would take over that land. And he remembered that and he saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. Do you think God doesn't notice our struggles? I think God notices our struggles. We have to rise up and pray to Him and offer them to Him. So I want to ask you a question. Who did God send to lead the Israelites out of Egypt? Now, all of you grown-ups, you don't have to answer. It's all the kids. This is for you guys that are still in the room. Okay, who, who actually led the, the Israelites out of Egypt? Was it Abraham? Was it Isaac? Was it Noah, because he didn't have any other vowels? Or was it Moses? You can shout it out. It was Moses. Moses led the people out of Egypt. Can God do extraordinary things through ordinary people? Certainly. Turning your Bibles to the book of Jonah. Look in the book of Jonah. And again, it'll be up here on the wall there. You're welcome to look in your text. And think about this. Jonah. Jonah says this, in the very beginning, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, the son of Amittai, and he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now that means Nineveh was about to be destroyed. That means the evil that was inside was enough that God thought, I've had it, I'm up to here with this, and I'm going to do something about it. And instead of Jonah following God and saying, okay, and running back in, running into to Nineveh, he rises up and he flees to Tarshish. He goes west. And not only does he go west, but he pays to get on a ship to hide. And he's hoping that he can get lost in the crowd. He's hoping that if he flees this problem and he leaves this problem, that, that maybe God would just sort of let it go. That maybe God would say, nah, I'll find somebody else. Don't worry about it. Nineveh doesn't matter that much. They can wait a few more days. No, God had other plans. Because he was, there's this great storm, as you know the story. And he tells the crowd there, he tells the captain and the crew, oh, go ahead and throw me overboard. Because then the, then the sea will become called, because, because it's my fault. It's my fault that the sea is raucous, that there is this storm coming. And of course, they're wondering, I don't want to kill this guy. Why, why should it be our fault? And so they have this, uh, this debate amongst themselves, and eventually they come to the conclusion, well, let's listen to Jonah. And they take him up and they pray, please don't hold this against us. We're doing what Jonah said. We're doing what we think pleases God. And they throw Jonah overboard. And they think on, uh, that this is going to be the solution to their problems. Well, it does calm the sea. And Jonah does get swallowed by that great big fish, and he's protected for that time. And in that, you know, in that prayer, remember the prayer he says in Jonah chapter 2? Isn't that a beautiful prayer? Isn't that a beautiful prayer? But isn't that also a kind of prayer that you pray when the seaweed is wrapped around your own head? Isn't that the kind of thing that you've gone through? And God sort of lets you go out there for a little while, and you're going through a trial, and you're wondering... I don't want to turn left. I don't want to turn right. I'm supposed to follow after God. But sometimes it sure would feel nice just to stay at home, uh, eat ice cream, and watch Star Wars. You know, just, just something other than. But that's not what God has in store. 
and he prays that beautiful prayer, and he goes through that, and you know what happens. The, the, the fish uh, spews him out, and now he's up on the, on the beach, and he's cleaned up, and he's thinking, all right, whew, got out of that one. And the word of the Lord comes to him that second time. And this time, he says, arise, go to Nineveh, and, and proclaim, and in that proclamation, tell the city what I'm going to tell you to say. And Jonah arose, and he, this time he didn't go run away. He said, all right, Lord, and off he goes. And Nineveh was an, an exceedingly great city. It was a three-day walk. That means that when you read that description in Scripture, about 120,000 people, and it says who don't know their left hand from their right hand, it's probably talking about kids, right? Younger people. And he goes through that city, and so the city itself probably was much larger than that. And he starts to walk through that city the first day, and he starts to declare to them, Nineveh, repent, right? Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. And, it's, and Nineveh responds. Instead of the king, instead of that king being angry, instead of him attacking, instead of him killing Jonah, he takes some time to think about this and says, you know what? We better repent because we know some of the history that's gone on around us. And when this God of Israel starts to speak, we know that what he says will actually come true. We better listen. And not only did they listen, they, they put on a fast. They put on sackcloth and ashes. They, they went and they really went down and prayed to God. Please forgive. So let me ask you something. Was Jonah effective because he was perfect? Was Jonah effective because he was not a tasty fish treat? The fish spewed him out. Or was Jonah effective because he obeyed the Lord? He was effective because he obeyed the Lord. God does great things through people as ordinary as a little old Jonah because eventually he finally obeyed. Consider another man... Peter. And in your Bibles, you know this uh, passage in Matthew. In Matthew 4, where Jesus is going out to start his ministry, and he calls the people, and he starts with these, these four, right? The four fishermen, right? Jesus is walking by the sea, and he, and he sees the two brothers. He sees Simon, he's called Peter, Andrew, and, and they're casting their nets, for they were fishermen. And what does he say? Come, follow me, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. And what did Peter do? No, Lord, I ain't going to do that. No, they dropped their nets immediately and they followed him. Now later on, later in Jesus' ministry, he's going to offer a challenge to the apostles. And they're in Caesarea Philippi during this time. And he asks this question. Brethren, you, have to, you and I have to answer that question for ourselves. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, some say John the Baptist. Others thought it was Elijah who had come back. Some people think it was the great prophet Jeremiah. Brethren, in your mind, in my mind, we have to have a conviction in our hearts when somebody asks us that question, who do you think Jesus is? And your answer should be what? It should be what? It should be, who do you say that Jesus is, brethren? He said, you are, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. By admitting to that, you're saying a lot. 
That, there's a whole sermon right there. By, by saying that he is the Christ, you're admitting that not only is he the son of the living God, but everything that that son of the living God said is true and right, and it is applicable to you and I. That means that you and I must follow what it says. And so you notice in that passage where he says this, from that time on, he starts to warn him. He says, you know what? There's going to be some trouble coming, and I'm sure that stirred up their spirit. He said, I'm going to suffer, and not only will I suffer, but there will also be a time where I'm going to be killed, I'll be buried, and, and Peter tried to deny this. God forbid that anything bad should ever happen to you. God never promised us easy. He promised us heaven. The salvation of your soul, the forgiveness of your sins. That's what he promised. And so Jesus challenges him. He rebukes him openly. And the reason he rebukes him is because, Peter, you, you don't have the whole picture yet. You don't see the fullness of the message you become a stumbling block because you're thinking in earthly terms. You're thinking, I'm going to take over the temple. I'm going to take over Jerusalem. And suddenly Israel will be a geographic country again. No, Peter, you need to think broader than that. Because if you want to come after me, you must do what, church? You must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow after me. How much of myself should I keep? Somebody say that loud enough so we can all hear it. None. And that's a daily battle, isn't it? To, to, to wake up every morning and say, you know what, God? I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to deny all my selfish desires. I'm going to deny those things that I want to do in favor of doing, God, what you lead me to do. Because that's a challenge, isn't it? To shed, my, to, to shed that little part of the Bible where it's called first and second opinions. To learn as a tutor where, from the Old Testament, but not to live in it. We don't dwell in the past, we live now. We don't worry about the future, God holds the future in His hands. We act today on the things that we're able to. If you wish to follow, follow Christ. He knows let me give you some examples of extraordinary people doing extraordinary things. For example, when I think about this, I think of moms. And I think of how great you do every Sunday. How many of you, how many of you have a struggle getting your kids ready for school or, or church? Anybody? Yeah. I, you can be, be honest. Come on. There's a, I only saw like one or two hands. But yeah, it's a struggle, isn't it? It's not be, my kids get up because we feed them and... We call them down, and I sing them down, I do. And they're getting to the old enough where they're like, Dad, you don't have to sing more than once. And it's not because I can't sing. I sing pretty well. <laughs> but they're getting old enough where they're like, you don't have to say it. I'm awake. I'm down, right? I'm here. <laughs> but it is. And, and what about you moms? What about single moms? You're doing an amazing thing just to take on that role of trying to raise godly children. And man, if you've got a, if you've got a good husband, give him a hug. And you can hug him right now. It's okay. I know that there's a day coming where husbands are supposed to be buying roses for their wives. And yes, you should go do all the fun stuff you can think of about loving on your wife. Um, but if you have a good husband, man, bless them and respect them. But way to go, moms. 
Well, think about that. When you God doing extraordinary things. Peter, what did Peter do on the day of Pentecost when you think about this? What did Peter prove on the day of Pentecost? Here he's proving that he had a good, well, one, he had a good mom. But two, look it up here. He and the apostles, they weren't drinking because that was the accusation against them. Did he prove that Jesus really was the Christ, the Son of the living God? Did he prove that the crowd that was right there in those last 40 days that would still be around, those same people, were they the ones that killed Jesus? They did. So it's all of the above. Little old Peter, a fisherman from nowhere, could do amazing things. Moms can do amazing things. You know, there's a story that Jerry Barber tells that I love. I'm going to repeat it here. And does that make you feel chilly? It makes me feel chilly. That's why I chose it. But when you look at that and you're like, oh, that's cold. Because the description is of a church that was cold. A church that was cold and unfriendly. And in this, there was, a, there was a big fuss that happened. It was almost a split. It was a lot of problems. Some people left. Uh, so not, not, it's a situation in Tennessee. And, and they, there was this lady. Her name is um, uh, Chris Veal. And she moves in. She's a widower. And she takes up a little condo in town there, and she settles down, and she's going to make that her retirement home. And she goes to church, and she sits in the pew, and this is after this is over, and she kind of got the same feel. Well, this is kind of a cold place, but she was a very happy person. And she decided, I'm going to do something about this. Now, do something was not run to your favorite elder and complain. She was a new member. She didn't know much about what those what had went on. Her, her, her thing was not to sit in the pew and poke at the Bible class teacher or write letters to the preacher or the elders. She didn't go run around stirring up trouble. She went out to, uh, I think it was Home Depot, and she bought a one of those eight-foot tables and some folding chairs. And once a month, she would go out and she would buy groceries. And she would set up that table, and she would have a list. She took the directory when she became a member, and she just started working down that list. You might notice in your bulletin there's a prayer list of each name of every member. And she just started taking those names and saying, come have lunch with me. And she did that for about six or eight months. And finally, um, one of the members was really interested. Uh, Well, how do you feel about your time here? You've been here for a while, and you kind of get a feel for how things are going on. Because what had happened over that time period was, in all of this eating together and all of this this fellowshipping around the Lord's table, she determined to, to change the attitude of the church. And she said with glee, she said, well, this is one of the friendliest churches I have ever been to. Isn't that interesting? God used one single widow to change the attitude of an entire congregation. See, God can do amazing things through you and me. Because God made you and He made you amazing. And He wants you to do amazing things. He wants you to do great things. It does not mean that we'll be rich. It does not mean that we'll be famous. It doesn't mean that we'll be powerful. But it is no less amazing And the world is way too strong in trying to tear people down who don't look like a certain duck, who don't walk like a certain duck, and who don't quack like a certain duck. Brothers and sisters, Jesus died for all the ducks. 
And if he thought that you and I were good enough to die for, he, he thought of the whole world, as 1 John 2, 1 and 2 says. So God can do extraordinary things, but the question I want to come back to that I started with was this. You're probably thinking, well, how can God do that through me? How can God use me? And the answer is really simple. Because the caveat that I would add to this lesson, this thought, is very simple and straightforward. I would say if we're going to do things, we do things by faith. And you think about the characters that we just studied. You think about the characters that we just studied. You think about what Scripture says in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 11, there is an entire chapter on this. That, that reviews the history of Israel. In Hebrews chapter eleven twenty four, the Bible says this, By faith, Moses, when he was grown and refused to be called a son of Pharaoh, he chose to suffer oppression with God's people rather than experience the fleeting enjoyment of sin. He valued disgrace in Christ above the treasures of Egypt. And, and, and he was looking, not now, he was looking forward to his reward. Brothers and sisters, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says that the city of Nineveh would rise up in judgment of that generation. Because when Jonah preached to that city, they repented of their sins. That takes faith, amen? And you think about Peter. And you think about Peter. Peter, had to, he gives the first gospel sermon in this great big colonnade area, right there by the temple. And he could easily have been arrested by the high priest and thrown into the prison that was underneath his house. He could easily have been beaten. He easily could have lost his life. And he stands up, and not only does he defend the apostles, he explains to them the completion that Christ brought to the old law. And he explains to him that they now have salvation. And he pricks their heart because he loves them enough to tell them that it was their sin that killed Jesus on the cross. And they repented, at least 3,000 of them did. Brethren, we do things by faith. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 11, down in verse 32. And what more shall I say? That time would fail. I could talk about Gideon. I could talk about Barak. I could talk about Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms. They performed acts of righteousness. They obtained promises. They shut the mouth of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. And in their weakness, they were made strong. They became mighty in war. They put armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured. And, and they not accepting their release so that they could obtain what? A better resurrection that was coming. Brethren, and the others experienced mockings and scourgings and chains and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were, they, were, they were treated as disaffected and destitute. They were ill-treated. And brethren, when you notice this, that this passage, this is, this is people that the world was not worthy of. Wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes, all of these things, they gained their approval through their faith. And where was their approval coming from? 
Jesus Christ. Because God had provided something far better that would set us apart. That would, because we're not yet, we're not, we're being made perfect. We're not yet there. We're on a journey together. And when that salvation comes, whether it's when we're horizontal or Christ comes back before that, that's when it's made perfect. And while we're here together, we need to work together. Because, you know, in this week's reading, you read Matthew 26 all the way to Mark 2. And you know this story. And you know this man. And you know that he was arrested. You know that he was beaten. You know that he was brought low. But he willingly went to the cross. He willingly spread his arms out and died. Because he loves you, he loves me, he loves every single person that walks in this door. And every person that runs about that, that runs about in ignorance that needs to know the saving power of Jesus, he died for them too. And you and I have a job to do. And as ordinary as you might feel yourself, God can still do extraordinary things through you, through me through us as a unified body. Brethren, that's your challenge this morning.